Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Caitlin Moran is the author of What About Men? A Feminist Answers the Question. Caitlin has been on this podcast at least once before, maybe even twice. Her debut book, How to Be a Woman, was an instant New York Times bestseller. And her first novel, How to Build a Girl, received widespread acclaim. She lives in London. You can follow her on Twitter at Caitlin Moran. Hi. Hey, my darling. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Really good. Yeah. It's just, oh God, your background looks so nice. Thank you. Yes, my library (laughs) office. So you've color-coded the spines. I did. I have written a column in defense of this because I remember a couple of years ago, loads of men I noticed got really shitty about this and were like, oh, people who color code their books, like they're just doing it to look nice. Like kind of that's not how a proper book reader would do it. First of all, what's wrong with things looking nice? And secondly, if you know and love your books well enough, you know exactly what color that spine is. And it's just as easy to find them when they're color coded as it is to put them in alphabetical order. So it looks amazing. Well done. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I see things in color anyway, like... I'm like, oh, it's that book. It's like green. Yeah. So that's how my mind works. So it works for me. But 
I, I know the colour of all my books. I found it really patronising the amount of men who were like, oh, why wouldn't you do it in alphabetical order? Because it looks nicer in colour. <laughs> Speaking about men, let's talk about your book. <laughs> <laughs> I am ready. Okay, what about men? A feminist answers the question. That's me. I did that. I remember typing it. That's literally my book. <laughs> you explain in the book why this happened and how you had gone to a number of events and people would raise their hand and say, what about men? And you came up with your traditional funny, you know, bright, witty response, blah, 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 ha, ha, ha. And then you thought, okay, I should delve deeper into this. Go ahead. Delve deeper. Tell us why. Well, yeah, obviously I'd spent the last decade writing about women and girls and feminism. I'm a woman. I'm team tits. That's that's my clan. I, I will always look after my girls and my women. But first of all, Every time I did an event, the second or third question I would be asked was, yeah, 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 you've talked about the women, but what about men? Either from peevish men who clearly didn't like the fact we've been talking about women and girls for an hour, but often from mothers and concerned wives who were like, we now live in a world where there isn't really any problem or anything that can happen to a woman that we there isn't a blog about or a Beyonce song about or a book about. But I feel like we haven't got those resources for our men. If my teenage daughter has a problem, I can point it towards a million things. But when my teenage son has a problem... I don't know where to turn to. And uh, so I was like, yeah, okay, that feels like a question I could answer. I can, I can dig into that and see if I can find some solutions. I'll sort it out myself, I thought. <laughs> and you started with a Zoom with your, uh, I think it was one of your daughters and some guy friends and all of a sudden, just all of this stuff came pouring out about the things that these young men were facing. And the range was quite widespread. And then of course you go into a lot of the issues in the book. What were you surprised to hear? I was, I, I suddenly realized it was quite deep waters. I just thought that I could do a book that was half funny and warm and just things about the kind of things men wear or kind of their reluctance to go to the doctors or, you know, slightly sort of deeper stuff like the, the fact that men find it difficult to sort of maintain friendships in the way that women did. But I very quickly realized that there's a lot of anger out there, particularly from young men. So this event I did was half girls, half boys, age 15 and 16, and it was on International Women's Day our special day, we get a day. Um, <laughs> so I thought we'd be talking about women and feminism, but these teenage boys were not having any of it. And it was the first time I'd come across this anger that you often see in young men now. And I'm always intrigued when you see anger in a cohort of people because angry people are usually scared people because anger is just fear brought to the boil. And they just kept saying things like, we always talk about women now. We never talk about men. The women are winning now and the boys are losing. Feminism has gone too far. And it was at this point I realised that the reach of, to a certain degree, people like Jordan B. Peterson, but certainly people like Andrew Tate, that sort of very extreme misogynist online sort of advice and role modelling, had found an audience in these boys. Because if you're a 15-year-old boy, you've grown up during this last 10 years of feminism. And all you've heard is things like the future is female or people saying typical men, typical straight white men, toxic masculinity. And so... Although to old people like us, this seems like a relatively recent thing that we've been so positive about women, to these young boys, that's all they've known. They've just grown up in a time when we're really concentrating our conversations about women and girls. And so when when these sort of right-wing misogynists come along and go, no, men should go back to ruling the world. Women need to go back in the kitchen. I'm going to talk about masculinity. I'm going to make young men feel good about themselves again. That's often the first time they've heard someone talk positively about their problems. Obviously, I think that the solutions that these kind of guys aren't actually that useful 
useful, uh, certainly not to women and neither to young men either. So I was like, we need there to be a book. We need to start a conversation that is more reasonable, more liberal, more progressive and more about, you know, seeing the humanity in each other, helping these boys who feel quite lost, talking about what's good about men, starting about you know the positive side of masculinity and also exploring how I think there are often some sort of feminists who think, I mean, I, I've been accused of it when it was announced that I was doing this book. A lot of women were like, oh, you're going over to the boys' side now. You're not going to talk about women anymore. Like kind of, you know, you've, you've betrayed us. And as any woman knows, half of the problems that women have are men. It's unhappy men, angry men, abusive men, men who won't listen to you at work. So we can't fix the girls until we fix the boys. So, you know, ha- you know, half of feminism's work is making sure that we have good, healthy, well-balanced, loving, you know, secure young men, because that's one of the quickest ways to make sure that we've got happy, secure young women. And do you find that men are reading this book or is it more for women who love men and want to share it with them? Well, as I'm sure, I'm sure you're aware and we'll have discussed before, 80% of books that are bought are bought by women. And also we, we're the people who like talking about humans and ourselves. Like if you go into any bookshop, there's a massive section for women covering every single stage of our lives, but there is no section called men. There is no men section in a bookshop. So the book is kind of written knowing that it probably will be women who will, who will be interested in it and will buy it. So half the chapters are about problems that you might have found with your partner or your husband and the other half of problems that you might have encountered in your your teenage son or the young men in your life and it's sort of and the idea is I, I what I always like to do is volunteer myself as the person to start a difficult conversation so if it's a conversation about pornography or loneliness or mental health or anything that might be quite tricky to start a conversation about the idea is that you read one of my books read the chapter about that and then you can go Catelyn says there's a problem with watching extreme online pornography in teenagers. Have you found that? And you get to blame me for starting the difficult conversation. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's my job. I just I love to start a difficult conversation. <laughs> where, where, does, where do you think that comes from? I think being the oldest of eight children and my parents were very... They were very shame-filled people. They just would never talk about... I think this was quite common in their generation. They just... Anything to do with sex but also emotions, mental health, physical health. We were all very sort of very fat, unhealthy children. So we were brought up in a house where you never acknowledged that you had a body. You were just like a brain in a jar. Uh, The idea of doing exercise or eating healthily was kind of seen as something that other people might do on another planet. So I, I think at a very early age, I was like, I was so aware of how the silence around these difficult conversations was driving all of my siblings crazy. And I was like, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be the one that starts this conversation. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> When's the first time? And I know you've we've discussed this on past podcasts we have done together, but when did you decide that you could use your voice on a wider scale than just your siblings? Well, I was, so my parents decided to homeschool all of us. We didn't go to school and we were very poor. They we were raised on welfare. And once you've been home educated for a couple of years and you know you're not going to do any exams and you're not going to have any qualifications, you're like, how will I earn money or ever leave this house? Which is very crowded and quite depressing. And the only thing that I knew that I could do as a job was to write because that's what Joe March does in Little Women. And that was my primary source of information about the outside world at that time. Uh, so I just started writing books when I was 13. And the first one was published when I was 16. And then I started sending pieces off to newspapers, hoping that I could get regular income from that. So by the time I was 18, I was a columnist on the Times of London, the newspaper, and just seeing the response that the things that I wrote had as a young working class woman 
you know, there's not many of those on broadsheet newspapers. And so I was able to write about these things that no one else was really writing about. And straight away, the response from readers was like, oh, you made me feel normal. Or I didn't think anyone else had noticed that. Or you, th- this thing that I previously thought was a really awkward situation, the way you wrote about it made me feel relaxed about it. And I look at it differently. And that's a really addictive feeling, knowing that you've made someone you've never met laugh or change their mind or feel better about themselves. So uh, yeah, that was that was the start of the, the addiction that I still have to this day. <laughs> <laughs> Well, your addiction just ends up benefiting more and more people. So it's all good. Keep going. Well, good addictions you hear so little about, right? Yeah. yeah. That, 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 and my, that, that and my addiction to loading the dishwasher correctly. Mm. I feel I've taught many people how to correctly load a dishwasher. Not many people read the manual. So they're putting their nonstick pans in there. They're putting the knives in the wrong way around. And I like to see myself as some kind of educational bureau to tell people, don't put your chopping knives in the dishwasher. They will become blunt. You must wash them under the tap. <laughs> I actually spent the weekend. So I could. I hate washing knives in the sink. And so sometimes I just leave them on the side. I'll do all the pots and pans. I put them all, I hand washed like all of these. And then I left for the very last minute Sunday night, the three knives that I had used this week. And finally I washed them, but I don't know. I have a block against it. I'm it so annoyed they don't go in the dishwasher. I'm like, I know, sick. I know. They need to invent ones that, that don't yeah. become blunted. In the, also, how can, I mean, I know they do blunt in the dishwasher, but how, how is water making a cutting blade Blunt. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. I it don't doesn't. understand the science of it. It's yeah. just how is that happening? Is something getting in there and doing it while we're not looking? How does right. that happen? Yeah. Why wouldn't it happen in the sink? Just fill right? it with water. <laughs> surely when it's chopping, that's when it's getting blunt. When you put it yeah. under some water in the dishwasher, surely that's a rest period for it. I would have thought it would recuperate and become sharper again. Yeah. Totally. I haven't really studied the science on this one. I'm gonna have to take the Catelyn Moran dishwasher class next. <laughs> I have no spatial relations. That is actually always a challenge. I'm like, I know these should all fit, but that's not how my brain works. (laughs) And now the Tetris of it, just thinking, I mean, I've thrown away things before that were perfectly good cups or plates because they didn't quite fit in the dishwasher Mm. properly. I was like, you don't work in my system. You've got to go. Sorry. I just don't have time. So men are not having this conversation is your point. (laughs) No, they're not. (laughs) All about so many things. Like there's like I love all the things, you know, I love all the things of femininity and all the things of masculinity. There's no aspect of being a woman or a man that is inherently bad. I think, you know, we can have big gender war conversations about these things. And like all of humanity's spectrum is fabulous. But there are certain things that as things are at the moment, women are better at than men. And one of them is about talking about our problems. It is about being honest about this stuff. We've really never used to be the case. You know, women were full of shame. You know, we go to the grave not talking about things that happen to our bodies or in our lives. But we are now in an era where women are so good at starting conversations about difficult things and putting amazing videos on TikTok or making speeches about it or writing books about it or making funny movies about it. And men are at least one, if not two generations behind in that. And so I wanted to share womankind's current technological advancement in being able to start awkward conversations about loneliness, about fear, about anxiety, you know, about gender roles, We've spent the last 50 years going, what is a woman? How could it change? What kind of new women could we invent? There isn't that kind of conversation happening for men. You know, women, teenage girls' bedroom walls are covered in all these new kinds of heroes. We're inventing new kinds of women every day. But there isn't quite that inventiveness yet for our young male role models. So I wanted to, like, write something that I hoped would just make men go, oh, I'd like that. Maybe, mm. maybe, maybe, this, maybe for younger men going, maybe this is why I'm angry with women. It's that I'm actually a bit envious 
mm-hmm. of how positive young women are, how much support there is on social media when, you know, if you're a big girl and you post a picture of yourself in your bikini with your rolls and your stretch marks, you'll have all your friends going, yes, queen, fire emoji, dancing girl emoji. But if you were a fat boy posting a picture of yourself in your swimming trunks, your friends would not be going, yes, king, and kind of posting fire emojis and stuff. It would be thought to be really weird. And I think teenage boys must miss the kind of support and positivity that teenage girls give each other all the time. And that that makes me sad. I, I want our young boys to have what we've given to our young girls, and there's no reason why we shouldn't. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. So I have four kids, including a teenage boy. What is the, what can you tell that teenage boy, what can I do having, what can I take away? What can moms out there do to help teenage boys without making them feel second fiddle, but empowering them enough to want to continue to be so respectful of women and collaborative and all of the good things, but then also maybe open the door every so often for a woman, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, I think often what provokes generosity of spirit in anyone, let alone teenage boys, is when you feel that you have been listened to and people mm. are listening out for you. And what I heard from, from some of the teenage boys who were becoming more radicalized and angry about women is basically when it came down to it, they, 
as I said before, they felt that unfairness, that there wasn't mm-hmm. as much conversation about their problems. But talking to teenagers and particularly boys about their problems can sometimes be difficult. So all the studies are that like if you sit down and like hold a teenage boy's hand and stare him in the eyes and go, let's talk about your problems, he will find that very uncomfortable, as I think we all would, but they find it particularly difficult. So the key is to maybe do it when you're driving. Mm-hmm. You're in the front, he's in the back. It's not that kind of direct eye contact. One of the things that I found very useful is rather than saying, are you having this problem? Go, are any of your friends having this problem? Like, are any of your friends, for instance, watching online pornography and are worried about it? Are any of your friends lonely? Are any of your friends worried about their mental health? Mm -hmm. Because when teenagers start talking about their friends, they're usually talking about themselves. So you you get an idea of sort of of what's going on and that's sort of an easier way to start the conversation. But it's being aware that for a lot of teenagers, admitting that you have a problem, particularly if it's a problem with being bullied or being friendless or something to do with your sexuality or your mental health, you will probably feel embarrassed and ashamed talking to your parents about it because you don't want to say, I'm not popular. You don't want to say, I'm struggling. Because we're very good as parents are always saying, the only thing that matters to me is that you're happy. And so when a child comes to you and has to go, I failed in that thing you told me was important, mm-hmm. I'm not happy. Of course, if, if we knew that was what they were thinking, we'd be like, oh, no, no, no. It's, you know, obviously I want you to be happy, but you haven't failed if you're not. Mm-hmm. But that's not how teenagers often hear it. They want to keep the secret from us. They think it will make us too sad to know that they're sad and you only find out about it when there's some kind of emergency. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's being sort of being able to start, keep those conversations going all the time so things don't build up. Interesting. Who are you going to tackle next? What group, what concept, what thing aging you know what 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 are where are we going after this what's your next book what what, oh, or what well, are you just thinking about oh well the next non-fiction book I'm waiting for I'm 48 and I'm waiting for the menopause I'm looking forward to that next phase so that will be kind of like finding out what that adventure's like going into it wholeheartedly and then being able to report and be humorous about what it's like but so far that hasn't happened my wow. HRT seems to be working very well and wow. um, so the next book is it's a cheerful sci-fi a lot of sci-fi is quite gloomy Mm-hmm. about the future. This book I've written for my girlfriends of my age, I'm 48, the ones who are newly divorced and going out there and dating, and they're coming back looking quite shocked and going, there just aren't that many good men out there. We just don't know how to find one. So this is about a group of girls who work in tech, and they start inventing perfect robot husbands because they can't find men who are, who will make perfect husbands. And it all goes very wrong, because what we think we want in a man, if we actually programmed it into a robot find it a bit creepy or a bit weird that we'd have to like press the off button and start again quite a few times so it's it's yeah it's a fun it's like a gender flip version of weird science that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember that yeah yeah right Ellie LeBrock isn't that who it was yeah and that famous scene where they're teenage boys making a girl and the first thing they do is make her have boobies that are so big they're the size of a house and then just <laughs> yes and they're like keyboard <laughs> yeah. so there's a female version of that scene which is enormous fun to write so yeah the next one's going to be a funny thing about what what do we want from men and and if we were in charge of making perfect men would we do a better job than mm-hmm. men have themselves very interesting i'm curious about your thoughts on the barbie movie <gasps> tell me what you oh, thought about that gosh. Well, I think well, the most important thing was that I found a dog-friendly screening of it in London. So wow. uh, I could take my dog with me. And when the movie ended, the best thing I've ever seen with my eyes happened, which is the lights went up and I turned around. I was at the front. And the entire theatre was dog head, human head, dog head, human head. <laughs> and all the dogs were just sitting next to their owners. And they really enjoyed the Barbie movie. <laughs> that made me so happy. <laughs> wow. I loved it. I wept. 
I hooted with laughter. I loved, I, I deliberately avoided all the spoilers and I loved being shocked by the realisation that Greta Gerwig had had made it for the moms rather than the kids. Uh, if you had to work it out on balance, yeah. that it's about mothers because she'd worked out really early on. Of course, little girls are going to want to go and see this because it's Barbie, but their moms are going to take them. And I can talk to the moms now and uh, and tell their story and how they how they feel about stuff. So I I wept at the generosity of spirit. I enjoyed all the outfits. I enjoyed the the scene where men are trying to impress women by playing guitar at them, and women are having to do their thank you for playing your guitar at me faces. I mean, the cinema I was in erupted at that one. <laughs> Every single woman has had a guitar played at her in that style. <laughs> Oh, my word. So, um, no, I loved it. Did you? Were you a lover? Did you adore it? I did. I really enjoyed it. And the issues, though, I keep thinking about, you know, the construct of the women's world. And I, I think about it in relation to this latest book of yours, too. A world with women on the dollar bills versus men and things we take for granted and how things are so systemically set up in one way that you don't even pay attention to it. And then what if that were flipped? So I feel like that's just... I don't know. It's so on point for... That was the most beautiful thing, wasn't it? And the amount of men... I did. I, I presume it's been the same uh, in the States, but in the UK, there's just been this kind of tidal wave of men going on social media. Usually sort of dads of my age or like even granddads kind of going, oh my gosh, I get the patriarchy now. Like when I saw the world that was ruled by women and, and it was like literally like the world that we live in, but with a gender flip, I get, I finally get it. When people talk about the patriarchy, I put my fingers in my ears, I'll go, that sounds horrible. Yeah. Now I get it. I've seen it. And I think that was the greatest genius of all. It's a billion dollar movie that everybody went to see and love yeah. that showed in the most fun way possible what yeah. it is that, you know, crusty old feminists like you and I have been banging on for ages. It's literally a thing. Don't you see it? It's... One of my feminist friends talks about your feminist glasses. She's like, when you first get into feminism, you put your glasses on and you see the world as it is. And after 30 seconds, you go, no, it hurts. It's too much. And you have to take them back off again. And then you sort of gradually build up being able to wear your feminist glasses for longer and longer and actually seeing the world as it is. And I just think the Barbie movie put everyone's feminist glasses on for, for, for the duration of that movie. And everyone finally saw these big concepts that we've spent nearly a century talking about. But in a movie with the dance, the ballet dance sequence in the middle of it with Ryan Gosling, that's yeah. perfection. It was perfection. So funny. America Forever's speech, by the way. That was my favorite. The speech at the end when she was like, oh, oh my gosh. I, I was like, this is what I say. This is it. I can't take it all. Can't do it all. But anyway. I'm anyway. so sure that speech has been printed out and put on a million bedroom walls because it's there in a nutshell, isn't it? Like kind of like, you know, you've got to be pretty, but not too pretty. You've got to be ambitious, but not too ambitious. It's like, yeah, that's it. There's there's a there's a 1% sort of thing in the center of being a perfect woman. And if you mm -hmm. stray on either side of that, you're going to get shot down by one side or the other. And that's that's the tightrope that Janelle Monet sings about. That that's that's where we live. I did not even consider printing that out, but I would like to read it again. To be honest with you, because right. you know it's you know we're both writers, readers. Like I, I I view I can take it in even more with words. So I think I should read it. Maybe I could read it out loud, or we could include a link in this podcast or something. Yes, and I want to put it next to because Chimamanda Ngozi Ndichie did a, a similar speech a couple of years ago that Beyonce used on a Carmen which song now, and I want to put those two side by side and just sort of have them as kind of companion pieces because between Chimamanda and Greta Gerwig, that's the whole thing covered. Wow. 
She was just on this podcast. My guest host oh. interviewed her. Yeah, I know. Oh my god, how was she? I was. Uh, I didn't. Do, I didn't do it. You, I have a guest host. I have two guest hosts who occasionally. Alicia Fernandez Miranda. She lives in Scotland. But anyway, she did that interview, and I was like, oh my god, I couldn't do the timing, or I don't know something. But she said it was unbelievable, amazing, and I can't wait to listen to it. Oh, she's she's one of my absolute queens. I just think she's so she's so gracious. She's so funny. She's so smart. She's just, she's just absolute perfection. So, um, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm kind of on the same screen that she would have been on. Or I feel like I'm almost like I'm sitting in a chair that she sat in now. (laughs) Kind of wriggling around and enjoying being in like the remnants of her aura. That's very pleasing. (laughs) Uh, Who else do you love reading? Even not for anything super important or mission driven, but just for fun or is there not such a thing or what what do you like to read? Oh no, yeah. So I um, mean, my my all time goats are Inez Bit, who wrote Five Children in It, and The Would Be Goods. I don't know if they were ever big in the states, but they're kind of like turn of the century. They're always about kids who don't have mothers, and they're just very, very funny books. And in one of them, she has one of the all time great narrative machines. In that, it's an unreliable narrator. It's in the first person, and it's a, it's one of five children, and the narrator's going. These are the five children. There is Oswald, there is Alice, there are whatever. I'm not going to tell you which one of us it is that is telling this story. And then within the next page, they're going, and Oswald was very noble, but didn't want to say anything about it. Or it was Oswald's <laughs> idea, but he didn't want to make a point of it. Or Oswald was extraordinarily clever in this moment and saved the day. And he thinks that he's being subtle about being the narrator and he's not. And it's just constant comic perfection. Virginia Woolf, I kind of I increasingly think I don't want to read anything other than Virginia Woolf. But there's also, but then I'll also just read every bonk buster going, what else? Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. I adored as everyone in the world has adored and gave it to my kids. And it was one of the first books they've read in 10 years that they really enjoyed. So I read everything really. Like I I'm, a, I'm really lucky. I'm a speed reader, so I can mm-hmm. read a book in a day, pretty much. So I just sort of hoover up everything. Yeah, I even enjoy reading things that are awful, so I can just sort of read out loud sentences that I think are quite poor and go, "That's slipshod." <laughs> they didn't. That metaphor doesn't actually make sense if you look at it. That's very poor. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're so funny. Tell me about this purple streak in your hair, which I am only now realizing is purple because I yes. keep looking in your eyes, but it's very cool. Yep. Yes, it shouldn't be. Like, so when you when you use a toner, so I've got gray that kind of goes yellowy, so I always yeah. use a toner on it, but you use, there's a kind of toner roulette. The bottles never really tell you what's inside, I don't mm. think correctly, so it's always a bit of a kind of, whoa, and I always dye my hair last thing at night. So when I wake up in the morning, it's like you walk over to the mirror and you're like, what hair have I been given overnight? And this is slightly more purple than I would have wanted I have to say I'm, I'm gonna rock it but it was supposed to be more kind of icy blue huh. so um, yeah it's it's but it's going quite well with this jumper it is to, it really is yeah yeah I thought it was a tr- tr- I'm gonna style it out make it look like as with everything in life if you make a mistake you simply have to walk around as if you meant to do it on purpose so that's what I'm doing now I'm trying to make it look like I chose this hair color but between you and me it was supposed to be gray <laughs> <laughs> well it looks very cool very cool. What advice do you have for aspiring authors? Don't go on a writing course. Don't read anything about writing. Don't take any lessons in writing because until very, very recently, no writer in the history of the universe had done that. Like how you learn to write is by reading. Uh, like kind of, you know, you just, it's like a digestive system. You eat up the books that you love and only read books that you love unless you particularly enjoy being like me and reading a book for hateful reasons and being scathing about how bad the metaphors are. But just only read things that you love. 
If you get bored with them halfway through, you don't have to finish it. And then after you've read 10 things that you absolutely adore, you'll feel your fingers itching and you want to go and play the game. That's what all writers are doing. They're kind of, they're writing these books and sort of throwing a ball up in the air and going, you catch it. What would you do with this story? What would you do with this idea? Like, come and join in. And I sometimes think that sort of when we do classes and stuff, you're just made to, it's like dissecting an animal or a baby and then sort of expecting it to jump off the table and run off and sort of have fun again. Like, I don't really believe in picking books apart. You should just be writing because you're so excited about writing. Obviously, if classes work for you, that's great. And if it's work for you, totally do it. But I know so many people who get dispirited when they do these classes. And they're like, there's all these rules you've got to bear in mind. And, you know, you're supposed to use this kind of word at this point in a sentence. And you've got to do this kind of structure. We know what stories are like. And if you can talk, you can write. And if you can read a book and enjoy it, then you could write a book and the kind of book that you would enjoy. And I just, I just don't think it needs to be as hard or as arduous as uh, a lot of people make out it should just be the most joy in the world so don't do anything and, and the biggest thing is a lot of people go oh yeah this chapter's really difficult like this chapter's taking me six months to write I'm just going to keep on plowing through it and working really hard if that chapter's not working don't bother writing that chapter <laughs> <laughs> take the story where it is and then all you need to do in the next chapter is go anyway that was three months ago some stuff <laughs> happened it was all really boring. I'm going to get back into the fun bit now. Like you don't have to write the boring bits. You don't have to write the bits that are difficult. Just do all the fun bits instead. Love it. Amazing. <laughs> Catelyn, thank you so much. Thanks for coming back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks for our discussion about men and everything else. So oh gosh, my absolute pleasure. This is my happy place. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Anytime. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.